Welcome back to Big Content. It's Jack Settleman. I'm Nick Ercolano. We're going to jump right into... We've got... Our, our table of contents today is enormous. Sporadic <laughs> as well. Multiple documents, emails, Discord, a lot going on. Yeah, we have. I actually got up super early. I had a, had a question that I wanted to actually ask you before we even started the show. I got up today for no reason. I mean, stress, you know. <laughs> 5.30 a.m. I was like, I got to prepare for big content. Well, you so, were hopping in your cold tub. You were doing yoga, writing in your journal, like any great All the creative. spiritual yeah, shit, yeah. 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 Um, but on that note, I wanted to ask you, because I got up at like 5.30 today and... Um, I, I jumped into the big content show sheet and I was like, Hey, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some, some stuff in there. I got on TikTok for the sake of business and yeah. was just scrolling for a while to see, you know, what was cooking on the platform. And a lot of creators have routines in the morning, right? And they all have these like times sectioned off or when they do this and when they do this and whatever it is. And I found myself never been able to force myself into like a routine. Mm-hmm. It's so, so today's an example of, I don't wake up at five 30 every morning to start like <laughs> working on show sheets, right? You wake today, up at five. It, yeah. <laughs> that's way too fucking late for me. Um, and I'm not someone who does that typically, but I have all these different spurts that hit me when I want to be creative. I'm like, okay, this is like a cool time to work. Let me just dig in for the next like three hours. Do you have like a morning routine? I feel like your days are so different on a day-to-day basis i can't because of the amount of travel you're here more often than not you're consistent coming to the office i leave monday morning or sunday night i get back tuesday or tuesday night i am kind of finding a schedule going to msgn come here wednesday but then you know the weekend who knows what's going on but speaking of that Mr. Beast, have you seen his thing on how he works and how everything is different for everyone? But he said he works 10 straight days, burns himself out, then takes a rest day. And I'm curious because his his angle is kind of like everyone is not like me. What's best for you is not best for me, which I think is tough because a lot of people are looking for guidance. What is the best way to optimize my schedule, etc.? But I think the self-awareness to know what works for you, what works for me is sleeping in. Like I, I work better at night and later. That is not the case for most. Most creators and creatives are best in the morning. What it, what have you found for yourself? I'm the complete opposite. Once it hits like 5 p.m., I shut down pretty yeah. much in terms of like my creative juice. I have a, a way I look at, uh, I guess, energy. I feel like uh, energy can come from, you have physical energy, you have mental energy, you have creative energy, you have I don't know, spiritual energy, whatever energy fucking sources you want. You have some people, you know, like yoga yeah, and all that stuff is, yeah. is, is a sense of energy. I think we all have a single tank where all of that is mixed into it. So it's like, if you, if you work out, if you go to the gym for four hours one day, like you're not going to have a lot of creative and mental energy to like exhaust yourself for the rest of the day. I think for some people though, the four hour gym session leads them and fires the dopamine. And that's what grind. I think they can give you like a really good one or two hours yes, after that. Yeah. But I think in totality, no, I think you, you have, have probably, yes. yeah, you have a battery. And but it's not everyone's just, battery is different. Like, yes. like oh, Mr. Yeah. Beast was saying, he can go 10 days, 15 hours. He loves this shit and it doesn't burn him out. And once it does, he's got to recharge that battery. I need eight hours of sleep. So my girlfriend thinking that our kitchen was juice generation this morning. I woke up at seven. That was way too early for me. I got to, I need to get till 8 a.m. So we'll I have no that. rhyme or reason for yeah, when I get 10. my spurts, but I hate, I don't like working at night. I am my most energetic and creative probably an hour after waking up like that two to three hour period after I wake up, I'll usually go for a walk to try to get like some light, you know, in in the body right away and then have like fucking three sources of caffeine and then I'm good to go for like three hours. So I almost look at it rather than a 10 day sprint with a day off. It's almost like a really intense focus period of work when I get up. And then I've always found like if I can do realistically three to four hours of really deep work 
in a day, that's like a great day. That's an insane amount of deep work, by yeah. the way. Like most people probably have an hour. I genuinely, no joke, I do deep work once a month, if that. I, for one hour. Like, I rarely go to where I need 100, 110%. You I, have to find that, though. It's yeah, so fucking do. important if you can find how you get into your deep work because that is a shit that, that is, like, exponential and returning on what you do. I say I'm always on, but at, like, 70, 80%. But I, I rarely go to that that place. Yeah, when you get into deep work, the, the ROI is, like, 20 times greater than, like, the 60 to 70%. Even, even yeah. if you're working 10 hours of 60 to 70% work, like, two hours of deep work is so, so, so massive. So that's also something, as a creator, when I was younger, I used to, like, feel bad about myself if I wasn't working long days. Or if I'm like, okay, I just worked really hard for like two or three hours. I need to keep working. Like I couldn't relax after that. You know, I felt like shitty about it. As I've gotten older, I'm like, that's just like who I am. That's how I work best. And the production speaks for itself, like personally. So I'm like, I'm I'm cool with that now. But people, it's tough following creators that have these routines because they like romanticize their routines. Then you're like, oh, I want to do that now. And it's like, that shit doesn't. No, but I look at Wahlberg or The Rock, 4 a.m. lift, the yoga, green. I'm like, I don't want to do that shit. But, but that's what works for them. Yeah, so. you got to find what works for you. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm definitely like a, a morning person. But today's instance was just different. And that I, I, I ride that wave when it does fucking hit me. There are times when like midnight it hits me and I'm like, fuck. There's an idea that I want to just like capitalize on right now for two hours and then I'll figure it out after that. But you're I, creative, man. That that stuff never happens to me. Really? Yeah. I never I mean, this morning I was thinking about some stuff, but I never am like, all right, I'm gonna lose this idea. I don't know. I don't write it down. I feel like if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. It hasn't I, spiritual. The energy. ideas just haven't hit you yet. That's why. <laughs> there there will be they will come. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about something you brought up last episode or two episodes ago. I brought up Be Real as like a sell because mm-hmm. I, I was really short-sighted on this. And I was like, yeah, we got on there, filled up our... They only allow you to have 500 friends on the platform. And we got that within the first 24 hours. And I was like, why can't I add anybody else? And I was like, fuck this platform. <laughs> There's no reason. If we can't have 100,000, I don't, I don't even want it, you know? Um, but now they've raised a pretty fat Series B. And I was scrolling TikTok this morning. That Chipotle ad I saw was um, one of the things I saw that captured my attention because Chipotle is doing an ad basically on Be Real for 500 people knowing that all these people that follow them will be sending it to every single one of their friends. Be like, yo, be one of the first people that see, yeah. gets this. You're going to get a free thing. It was genius marketing. It was just basically a paper bag with like written on it. First 500 people to use this code online gets a free burrito or whatever. And it got me thinking that like Be Real, they raise the money. They've got these people like Chipotle really paying attention to what's going on in the platform. There's so many users. It, mm-hmm. The entire audience of like TikTok is basically on Be Real. You have the trends that are like, I don't need to be real. I need to, <laughs> you know, be whatever it is. Yeah. So it's making a huge splash and it's it's got me reconsidering how to strategize on that platform. Are you on Be Real? I'm not. You're not. I'm not. And I don't know why I am or I'm not. I think every time there's a new platform, as someone who runs a media company, it's more of like a damn. Like now we got to do It's so it. easy though. It's literally just a picture. Yeah, I probably should do it. I and think I, it's a really good connection with the 500 people that follow you. Because yeah. like when Snap we- Snap first- is that for me though. And, and I think that's unique. Instagram story is not that for a lot of creators, but Snap is like, Snap is my platform where I'm just like, everything goes. And I think that's kind of the idea of Be Real. So maybe that's why. But yeah, from a business perspective, they raised $60 million at a $635 million valuation. If you're keeping track at home, Instagram <laughs> sold to Facebook for a billion bucks. And it was already one of the top social platforms. Now, Be Real has that momentum, but they raised a $30 million Series A 
five months before, or three months before this most recent round. So their trajectory is crazy. And like I said, that cap is going to be lifted. It only it lends itself to, to expanding, yeah. But the good thing that I mentioned before is like, I don't want them to ruin their platform. What does $60 million do? Initially, it gives you a little longer of a timeline. What does it do on the back end? Well, you got to return money with a positive right. ROI. That's so you thing. know it's coming. You bring the investors on and now they're like, we want, you know, they have no actual revenue source right now on their platform, yeah. which leads itself to say like, I don't have to. think that people gave them $60 million because they enjoy the platform and are like, you're doing a great social media platform. <laughs> I'm expecting a little bit of money on the back end. So we'll see what they do. I think expansion of followers will be the thing. And then brands will get on there. Paid advertising. I mean, that's how a lot of these companies, I don't know if they'll make it from like longer form content like Snap does. They're copying YouTube in that regard. And Instagram's trying to follow suit. TikTok. Well, there's so many, there are so many examples of social platforms seeing the next social platform become popular and then just copying it. Yeah. Like for instance, TikTok. Instagram did it too. Yeah. The be real thing. Yeah. They, they created almost a filter or a feature in stories that mm. copies be real. That's tough. It has already a photo. Yeah. They're already, yeah. I was going to say with TikTok that, that intrigued me more. Cause they based, they literally just copied it like, you know, picture for picture. Yeah. That intrigued me more because we already have a following there. So I'm like, oh, if we can do the same thing on here, right. there are TikTok people to see it. But it's still, those things almost never fucking work. Uh, well, it worked with Instagram stories. Instagram stories, like one of the few examples. It's where worked it did. with Instagram reels. It's worked with YouTube shorts, which is essentially copying TikTok format. Yeah. But, but the little ones. Like Twitter stories, Twitter yeah. space, or not Twitter spaces, but like there's been a spaces lot of audio. Worked, space, yeah. Spaces like Spaces kind of worked. Yeah. Uh, not community, uh, Clubhouse, which. Yeah essentially beat that app. So, all right, let's answer this for the for the people listening. If you were a new creator, what would your be real strategy be? See, that's that's where it's almost useless right now because I don't think But I don't think so. If you're a new creator and you can create 500 fans who really enjoy your content every single day, that's fair. That's like the super fan model, right? Of like if you're creating something interesting. Now, no one's going to care if you just take a picture of your desk, but if you do something funny every single day. You have to be day, funny. It's almost like I mean, it's like the start of Instagram yeah. where it's like girls who want to go show their ass will probably do really really well on <laughs> on be real and turned yeah. into like an only fans well, uh, yeah. that was funnel. my original pitch was an only fans ad of, of image whatever uh but i think if you're a new creator what's your niche like you can be funny and get creative if you want to do fantasy football i think there is a, there's there's definitely there's, there's definitely something along the lines of episodical stuff like yes. the ice launch like day one of like putting one side of the camera has like a, a whiteboard versus like day one of this i yes. can't think i'm not funny enough to think off the top of my head no, like no, what that might be yeah but that would be something the only problem is you can't follow along necessarily because they don't keep the pictures well, it disappears so it's like it's like okay i want to see what happened you know day three or whatever you can't do you like i i think you track the progress but how many people so let's say i'm half, saying like the audience won't be able to follow but along. half a million people watch ike's lunch how many who are exposed to it to the first time they might go back and watch a couple episodes before but they don't care about we have a floor six. of like 100k that have seen every episode yeah but they don't go back and watch episode six. Oh yeah they do the new people yes how many of them though a lot you think so we had no viewers on the first like 20 of them yeah, and yeah. now if you look at every single one of them it, there's it, six yeah. figures on yeah. every single one they okay. all went back and we we used to when it was fewer episodes and we were probably in like day 50 day 70 day 90 we yeah. were really used to just seeing comments like who they'd be like who else who else looking at this on day 80 or whatever <laughs> right, and be like right. a million fucking likes on yeah. it or whatever so they go back a lot okay. so i think like when you make it episodical people do want to be able to follow the timeline along yeah. which is why i'm like intrigued to see that i mean there will be breakout fucking content creators from be real yeah 
And and Chipotle is a great example of cross promotion of platform. Like you said, they knew that it wasn't just going to meet 500 people's eyeballs. It was going to go out by, you know, people texting their friends, but then they covered on TikTok. They cover on other platforms. That's what you want to be thinking about as well. So, I think there is absolutely an area get creative, try That's the beauty of why I love Snap and why I think Be Real, although it doesn't save stuff, is you can try stuff and no one knows if it was a failure or a flop because it's gone. Yeah, and I, I do think that stuff will probably, they'll find a way to have content live on the app because that is a problem. Like if you're only consuming one day's content, can't go back in time. Yeah, I want to talk about another sort of copycat, but expansion within TikTok itself is they um, expanded the caption size mm -hmm. from 300. I think this was the last week. Maybe this happened from 300 all the way up to 2200. <laughs> And you might be like, oh, fuck that. Like, I don't want to read those captions. And and they didn't make it like weird where it's like every time you scroll through, you see all 2000 words, right. or whatever, you have to expand to it. But this is an amazing opportunity for people because TikTok is becoming more of like an SEO search focus. They're trying to be all encompassing basically yes. as a platform. And what this does is when you're getting into content, right, you have to choose how you want to um, give that content, right? Mm -hmm. We've, you know, written audio video. What something like this does is allow the people who don't really want to be on camera or aren't very like audio or video focused to kind of blow up. Cause I remember when Instagram first kind of popped off, right? They, you go through trends of like what's popular on the platform, yeah. but I very clearly remember when they expanded captions, people blew up from like long form valuable captions. They basically were like, I'm a good writer, but it's really hard to grow a blog. Let me basically do like mini blogs in my Instagram captions. Right. People that were in like health and fitness would write like recipes or they write mm -hmm. like full workouts or whatever. This is the same thing because all those keywords are gonna now go into the TikTok search. So I think people who wanna write, people who are good writers can use this to their advantage and start kind of blowing up on TikTok through 2000 word essays. This is what I think this expands to. So I think first, let's give a shout out to Donald. Donald is in the discord. He's a listener of the pod. We said, how can you offer value to this podcast? Being part of the big edit, getting clips up on YouTube shorts or TikTok, or helping us out with the topics for this. So you bring up the captions. He wrote out an entire kind of notes for us and one of his things was 10 percent of all u.s adults get their news from tiktok so thank you for that you say that that is fake news but given the captions it reminds me a lot of how people use youtube these days funny videos click click baby thumbnails but also it's the second biggest search engine in the world and tiktok could be that and tiktok is pushing the heck out of it if you go on tiktok right now you can see it's like how did steph curry do this how uh, that's my fee but you think that 10 percent of all u.s adults get news from TikTok is fake news. That's Why? such a high number because you and me agreed beforehand. Like I get almost all of my news from Twitter because it's in breaking time. Mm -hmm. TikTok is not in real time for the most part. So it's like, if you're seeing news, it's usually far after it already happened. Like if you're in the real world, you're, you probably have some sort of app that's giving you notifications. You log on to Twitter, you have 78,000 people <laughs> saying the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Even on Instagram, I follow like Jerry, fuck Jerry news or whatever yeah. that will update like big breaking. I, I get, I think TikTok, some of it is actionable the day of and have people react immediately. But here's the thing. When you consume news via Twitter, it's it's happening to you. Yes. The news comes to you. When you're on TikTok, most people go on TikTok and then just scroll through their For You page. Mm -hmm. You're not like consuming the news. You're consuming your For You page. I, I just think- But you get the news from TikTok. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. With Twitter, you're getting it. You know, like there's, there's no way around it. With TikTok, you might scroll for three hours and not get any breaking See, news. but I think, I think they're starting to push more today stuff. And I think that's a big part of why. Maybe they I could see it going 
uh, more towards it. I just think the fact that like news is a breaking thing. Yes. And it's yes, breaking news right now today, Twitter. Yeah. Right? Like if, if something if, happens, I open Twitter. But I don't know if that's the behavior of, you know, it says for people under 30, that jumps to 26%, one in four. That'd be so weird if you just got on TikTok and then all of a sudden you, it was basically just like a news channel. Like, no, it's not a news channel, but like the Kanye stuff yesterday, right? Adidas kicks Kanye off of Adidas, okay? You go onto, you, onto TikTok, now there's a creative way for people to react to that news. And that's essentially how they are getting the news. And then, you know, I posted about it, being Jewish and the whole thing. And, you know, people on Snap were like, okay, what happened? On TikTok, that actually offers you a way to share the video that happened, share the comments, you know, engage. I think the comment section probably leads to half the news. That's where people get their info from. Yeah, no, it's definitely the comments. <laughs> That's not a good fucking No, source. it's not a good good source, but it's Yeah, I mean, I get it. I just feel like it's still weird to um, be searching for the news rather than when we have platforms to actively give it to you. Well, that's the thing is, do you ever search on Twitter and like no, try and get- you don't have to though. You don't have to, right? So Kanye stuff happens, Kanye, 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 you see it. But like I said, a lot of people are like, what happened? They'll go to TikTok. The ability, yeah. They'll go to TikTok and say, what did Kanye say? What? And because of these expanded captions. So now let's take this back to how does this help the creator? Like, what are you thinking about as you create your stuff? Because I do think like some people are going to use it as they'll do their traditional TikTok caption. So one or two sentences, trying to draw someone in, and then they'll just hashtag the heck out of it and then keyword it, which might not be a bad idea. Or do you now go the route of thumbnail almost, thumbnail title like YouTube, where your captions are straight up like how to shoot a basketball? Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not going to do much of this just because writing has never been like, yeah. I'm not going to go out of my way to force something I don't even like doing. Yeah. You know, like I was never someone that, that wrote a lot. I was never someone that when Instagram popped off on that, I wasn't sitting there writing right. 2000 word captions. Um, maybe I start using keywords a little bit more. Maybe I write one or two sentences as opposed to right now. I just try to write like a witty four letter, four word, um, yeah. caption on it. I do use hashtags on our stuff, like yeah. hashtag creator tips, hashtag content creator tips yeah. or whatever. So I do want TikTok like kind of understanding the path that we're but going I think through. that what is going to be plausible for the caption is like how-to be a better content creator in the caption. That, that I'm, that that I'm opening to. I'm right, not going to be right. writing long No, form, no, no. And I don't I do think, think that'll people, work. You think that'll work? If, if it's value. Oh, yeah. If yeah. it's real value. Like Interesting. If, yeah, if people write... I'm telling you, dude, like I liked those I Instagram posts. I see it on posts. Instagram, but I don't know on it, TikTok because went, I feel like it the had a phase in the video, though. People went viral on fucking Instagram yeah. because of these things. I'm yeah. telling you, it's going to happen again through the search. Like they're going to... The best, the most searched or the most clicked searched items for a specific topic are probably going to have a ton of information in if the caption as well. If you're a fucking food creator right now, like how to make buffalo chicken, how With to the meal prep, there, like there it is. you're bad. You don't even need a blog anymore because yeah, you, you, you have it on TikTok. Yeah, and the discoverability is going to go through the roof because I, I would never, uh, maybe some people do, but like how to make a good buffalo chicken dip, I don't know if I'd ever go to YouTube. I'd search it, but now if I could go to TikTok, I would use that 100%. That's very true. That's yeah. actually kind of scary yeah. for YouTube as, yeah. as becoming like, because YouTube, I always thought had this grounded like foreverness because they're the how-to platform. Yeah. And worst case scenario, creators and entertainers can go elsewhere, <laughs> but you're always going to go to YouTube to, to learn stuff. Will always be YouTube's until... Unless. <laughs> unless you unless. like consuming it in a vertical format. Ah, fuck. TikTok, you got to be on TikTok, mm. man. Shit. All right. Um, All right. Let's talk about food. Food partnership. So paid partnership of the week, Cougine. 
everyone loves Kuj. I mean, just a, a relatable guy eats his heart out, consumes calories, Italian. He's got the Brooklyn thing going. So he did a paid partnership with Kava. Went to this Kava joint. They got like bowls and pita, sweet and spicy, apparently. Hey, Kuj. What do you want? Have time for a few questions? If you say so. Where are you headed? Your sister's joint. What are you eating? Kava, sweet and spicy chicken pita. What would you rate it? What's your favorite food memory? I think rolling meatballs with my mother. What are your feelings about pickles? Don't fucking talk to me about pickles. All right, right all right. Disrespectful. I'm over here eating a pita, and they ask me, what's my deal on pickles? Don't worry about it. So what I loved about this paid partnership was that they let him do him. They let him use his style and, and do the content. Most of the paid partnerships these days... They'll let the creator kind of be creative, but it's under the Kava brand. This had nothing to do with the Kava brand except for except the, fact for the that product placement <laughs> and like how the wrap just popped because it was like colorful and it looked exactly. it looked but, great. But this is his content that could live on his channel, and I thought this was spectacular. You could have replaced that with like a meatball parm, not have it being an advertisement, and it would have been the same thing. Exactly, which and is beautiful. They no filter. They let him curse. They let him do whatever he wanted on it. Brilliant. So what? First, how much do you think he was paid for that? Hmm. Let me find his. What, what's his following on TikTok? I, I believe he's at like almost two million followers. <sighs> wow. And and caption ten maron ten marons only. Uh, meals by Kuj only four hashtags on the post. Kava has uh, only thirty three thousand followers. This did one hundred thirty seven thousand views. Kujin has meals by Kuj. He has two point three million followers. You put it on his page too. I am looking now. It doesn't. Uh, so he did his own thing. Three hundred and forty thousand. Haven't had this much nutrition since I breastfed over here at Kava, the sweet and spicy Orisha chicken pita. Got more flavor combinations than it knows what to do with balsamic date, the whole nine. Oh, my own. I'm chomping at this thing like I'm Jaws. It's easy to hold on to, settle down. It's got the balsamic date. For now on, these are the only dates I'm doing. Forget about your sister. Beautiful, gorgeous, 10 models. You take care. You could even brush your hair. So I think as we transition this to to an Ike's lunch conversation, if you look at his, this is his content in the car trying the stuff, but that's product placement. Mm -hmm. And that is that can obviously, uh, it can drown the brand a little bit if you start just reviewing foods, right? Like, I think, I don't know, has Barstool and, and Prez ever done something? When they do the pizza stuff, do they take money for that? Do we know? Does that ruin the no, integrity? They definitely right? don't take money from that, but they're the face of... Um, a bunch of other food companies like high noon was yeah. it's not theirs it was someone else's who was like we want to make you the face we're gonna pay you a fuckload of money right high noon is also like a great product yeah. so i don't think they cared no about but there, there is risk to his side here and so i think as we you know last week i went on ike's lunch ike got snapback kitchen it was not a paid partnership. He did it because I was in the office, and it. We thought I'd make for. But that's like time. literally the fifteenth time we've talked about Snapback yeah, yeah. on the thing. But people I, are like, "How is this not a paid promotion?" Right. Like, literally, it's. Can you not just tell we're just joking with Jack? Like, <laughs> but but like, how do you? Because Ike's Lunch half a million views. You've got the crazy following on it, the engagement. How do you monetize that? Because you have. To. So I had a yeah, I had a um, well. How do you monetize it overall? Like we've we've probably sold close to 50k in merch yeah. off of that which is you know one path to do it in terms of 
putting advertisers in it, like the very low hanging fruit, of course, would be to like have someone guess it. Like my guess would be right. the advertiser and I would like talk about the food in like a natural, funny way. But the way. second you do that. Correct. So what I would do, if this is almost like a one hit wonder thing where you can't really do it often and you can't do paid advertisements within Ike's Lunch, which I'm yeah. fine never doing it, honestly. What I would do is buy into it. So I would almost start it up. As, and I've thought about this. I was like, yeah. okay, do start up as like a dream sequence or something and be like, imagine Ike's Lunch was a paid advertisement. <laughs> and then we do like a funny skit of like, right. All if it was like Wingstop, we all guess Wingstop, and then we talk about like our favorite flavors. We do something right. funny, like a stupid ass skit yeah. during it, and then Ike walks in with Wingstop, and we all like celebrate together. And you know, it's clearly a paid advertisement, but it's like funny because we're so it's like a dream sequence where we're just fucking around so much. Like yes. that would be like a great spoof where people would find it funny, whatever. Yeah. You just can't really replicate that again. That would be a matter of being like really creative with it. Mm-hmm. You know, like how many Kava commercials can he do that are that right. you keep watching and you're like oh this is also good this is good it's like yeah it eventually dwindles down a little bit you know yeah. so it, i don't know how many paid advertisers we'd put into it because it's such a small piece of content it's a couple minutes it'd almost be like you have to make sure you have your own product to push right this is With what we that, did with the merch we yeah. never once pushed merch on it we would just wear a don shirt or mm-hmm. wear a get him t-shirt or whatever and yeah. people would know link in bio go buy that shit yeah yeah, that's, I think there's the alternate ways as opposed to partnering with the brands. You guys. I also think, by the way, I, if I had to guess, I, I think he probably made 80 to 100K. 80 to 100K. Wow. <sighs> 2.3 million followers. I don't think he makes that much. I think this, I mean, this is probably his first, like. Yeah. No, no, he's done, he's done some stuff before. He did yeah. something with, like, Coke or Pepsi. I would say more in the range of, like, 30 grand. Yeah, maybe. I could probably maybe find out, there. actually. Let me, let me text my guy and do see. That, do that, let yeah. me, we'll see if we can get it by the end of the... Uh, I don't know if he's going to be able to reveal it, uh, but I'll text him regardless. So. Yeah, I might overshot with that. But it'll be interesting to find out. Okay. All right. All right. I think the other way that we would be able to do sponsored stuff is not actually injecting the brand into Ike's lunch. But when we were in like the peak of Ike's lunch popularity, mm-hmm. no matter what we did, any piece of content that even related to it would be half a million views. Mm-hmm. So it would almost be like making content like that with the sponsor that wasn't actually Ike's lunch that we would have to intertwine it with. So I think another way you could monetize it, people who do like book tours or press tours, new album dropping, like I think guests have so much potential because it's it doesn't happen till that third slot. So the watch time, you know, is going to be super high. And then that payoff is massive when you finally see the guest. We do have a pretty big collab in the works. Do you? Yeah. And it's not me, like it's weekly on Wednesday. smaller than you. It's smaller. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but I think that like to start off, you probably do that for free or some value exchange. Change, but you could get people to pay for for an appearance for Maybe. sure so so i texted my friend who's worked with him before he didn't do this deal specifically he estimates 30 to fifty thousand is how much kava probably paid him interesting it's good uh good call by you it's nuts that's awesome and he, he didn't really have much to do there he probably fucking filmed this in 25 minutes 30 minutes yeah that's sometimes simple is is best and then sometimes you know zach king last week right if the audience is used to if that's why he has such a big audience right. that king or whatever like you can't put out a video <laughs> of him just walking down the street yeah, and be yeah. like this ain't it yeah you know? like, yeah yeah, and of course we cannot uh, get through an entire episode of Big Content without talking about Mr. Beast for at least 10 minutes. So uh, Mr. Beast is raising money at a $1.5 billion valuation for Feastables. That's the company he's raising money for, correct? I think it's for his whole brand. 
Really? That was my understanding. Seeks 10-figure valuation. The funding would help Mr. Beast, whose real name is Jimmy, Jimmy Donaldson, quickly expand his video empire further across restaurants, consumer goods, and merchandise. So I think you're actually investing in Mr. Beast. And we how, talked how about this before. How quick is this before. fucking round going to close? I mean, we talked about this before. $1.5 billion is the value of the century, potentially. He oh, yeah. can do anything. He's already done Feastables, Chocolate Candy Bar, $10 million plus in revenue after launch in Walmart. He's already got Mr. Beast Burger, $100 million in revenue. I don't know what that values Mr. Beast Burger alone. He's talked about launching mobile games. He's talked, you know, his B2B stuff, I'm sure he could launch as well. So who's pony? Imagine having out? the chance to fucking invest in this. Crazy. I don't know what the return looks like in terms of like it's tough to invest in a person. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. There, there has to be more fine details in terms of like where the money's actually going. Because at this point, he probably has 40 different LLCs right, set up. Right. Probably has a video production LLC, yeah. obviously Feastables, Mr. Beast Burger, like all these different LLCs. I'm sure within the actual funding scheme, it's like this is going towards this or yeah. this or this or whatever. But this is, we've talked about this so many times. It's like when new, all right, so say there's like an entrepreneur who's like super successful, sells his company, wants to start up a new company. He gets funding really quickly because he just proved himself to be that guy. But people invest in the person and that person probably doesn't even have an audience. He just has no, people just know that they're good at business. You yeah. know what I mean? Like Mr. Beast, he comes to you. It's like, yeah, we have an audience of about a billion fucking people <laughs> right now. Like what psycho investor would say no to that? I'm really not sure. Yeah. I think, I, okay, I'll give you, I'll play devil's advocate. We just saw with Kanye West. And as much as the brand is a positive when you have a following and you are talented, it is all about you. What happens in these different worlds where something scandalous comes out with Mr. B, something, you know, obviously life is life and you never can predict the future. That's honestly the risk of, of these things. And sometimes well, that's a risk with, with anyone and anything like even is, those entrepreneurs that are getting a second chance, like you're investing in the person you are, but at least they have a product and he does now too. But a lot of that product is based off of his following, right? If hypothetically YouTube banned him, what happened? You know, he, these are unlikely scenarios, the risk tolerance, which is why we we would both jump at the opportunity, but that's kind of the, the person is great until the person isn't great. Yeah. I, I think that it comes down to like how comfortable you feel with the person. And if you're investing, whoever's, you know, investing at a $1.5 billion valuation is probably putting in a hundred million dollars or whatever the yeah. case may be. Probably want to have a few meetings <laughs> with, with Mr. Beast. Yeah. And you probably built in, you know, insurance clauses and, and stuff like that. I don't even but, want to know what the, like the lawyer fees oh on something God, like this would be. Disgusting. But you said that I lost the social media content creator draft oh, no. last week. I didn't say that. The, Every single comment. The, the said comments that. Nick said Solos, that. apparently. Uh you you dominated me because of my pick of David Dobrik at two, but eighteen months ago or twenty four months ago, whatever it was, if I said you know, you have a chance to invest in David Dobrik at a hundred million dollar valuation. I think we would have felt maybe I'm more pro Dobrik than you are, but the general consensus would have been like, yeah, of course he's crushing dominates, et cetera. That's fair. And that's an example of, you know, what can go wrong in these cases in, in the, yeah, when you're in the moment, like Mr. Beast feels like the it guy right yeah. now and you just see so much good press around him. So you kind of get that feeling like, Oh, you know, he could do no wrong. Yeah. Dobrik was that guy yeah. two years ago. You're right. So it's an interesting way to look at it but i mean you put mr beast and andrew tate on the team together <laughs> you never had a chance but david dobrik is launching his own food-based uh 
LLC or company w- called Dobrik. It's launching in LA, I believe, in November. It'll be Do D O U G H. Nice play on words there. Pizza Cute. restaurant. I think it's gonna crush. I can already visualize the lines that he'll get. But it's about that sustainability, and that's why I think Mr. Beast has nailed it so much. It wasn't about Feastables. He could promote any product, but it's that he brought the kind team in to run it, and they're just going to be off and running. Well, that's that's like the crazy, that's the awesome part about how aware someone like Mr. Beast is to know to do that. Yeah. Because you can, you can, listen, you can build out an audience. You can be great at content. You can even be like pretty good at business, but to really understand how to scale is a different animal. It's a whole different thing that like, admittedly, I don't know much about. And like, it's something that I'm learning as the months and the years go by, but to understand how to bring those guys in, to understand how to structure a company, to have it succeed is crazy. And Gary Vee even did something like this where he's never taken money for his, for VaynerMedia, mm-hmm. but he raised a fuckload of money for VFriends, right. his NFT project, which is its own company now. When I heard that, I was like, I'm kind of surprised at that. You know what I mean? The way, because he's always been someone I feel like who's just been independent and just like ventured on his own. And he was like, fuck this, I'll never take an ounce of debt. And then he did it for VFriends. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there is a different side of this that Mr. Beast feels like he's he's unlocking right now. And these creators are, are unlocking this whole business savvy side of themselves that is so interesting. It's it's so uh it's something like I'm super passionate about. I feel like a lot of people that are out there watching like don't really understand what it takes to 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 run something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think I think he'll be fine. But again, you I think you swap out mostly any product for for the pizza, for the fucking Kyan bar, for whatever it is, and they'll succeed. Yeah, no doubt about it. Should we talk about a little drama? Sure. So it's not actually drama, Between but you I, and me. I like to We're not invite me to pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> no, no drama, but maybe drama, maybe for a title or clickbaity. But we got an email. I got an email from John. John said he watched all the episodes of big content uh been consuming this stuff there was a couple episodes where i mentioned uh, we talked about bad breakups whether it's through friends family business partners whatever it might be talking about my old podcast production company we'll leave them unnamed just because uh, i don't really like getting into that internet stuff uh but he was essentially asking just perspective on the whole thing you know, that network specifically, podcasting networks and that type of business. Because I think content creators, and we're going through this with our agency right now, it's like, all right, I want to launch a podcast. How do I do it? Don't have the abilities like you and I right now, where you have a whole team, although we are doing the majority of this, or I would say you're doing the majority of this. You got, you got the big edit going. I would have had that. Yeah. But still, these aren't available for people like that. So what do you do? Do you go to a podcast network? What do you, how do you feel about that. So what I've noticed, and this is what I've noticed with this company specifically, is it's the creator. The creator runs it. They are contributing 90%. What the network will contribute is a couple things. They'll, they'll send you a couple links on how to get started, on hosting tools, on equipment, but they don't know how to grow podcasts. They really do not. The, and, and if you're just starting out, they are not going to give you the tools to do it. They're not going to cut social clips for you. It is all you on your own, they will, once you do all that, if you're successful, they'll sell against it, which you could probably do. Right. So the biggest fucking lie you'll be told when you're a small creator, when big companies reach out to you is that they'll help you expand your audience. You could take our audience. It just, it's not, it's not real. Unless a company can really come in, unless you're working one-on-one with Spotify and they're like, we're going to put you on our top charts or some shit like that. And if that's the case, you're not probably listening to this fucking podcast right now because you already know what you're doing. But they'll come at you, these, oh, we're a network, we're this, we're that. We'll we'll get you in front of more eyeballs. It's like, I, I get 
in myself in front of more eyeballs than you can get me. So yeah. they'll kind of, they'll try to come at you with the whole distribution angle. But like you said, they'll offer people who don't, it's almost like they're, they're like sharks and they're waiting for you to like kind of stick your toe in. And they're like, boom, we'll grab well, you. Well, they are sharks because, and I'll touch on this, their business model is selling a network of podcasts. So they don't care if you have 42 downloads. I have 68. Ike is 92. They care that we have 190 that they can sell again. So they don't care. They would like you to grow and they will help you out and they'll offer things like they'll get you guests. They won't get you guests. Maybe the there are one off opportunities, but if you are just starting so this, out. Yeah, this is no. a good yeah, um the so the fantasy footballers, biggest podcast in our space, bar none. They're like one of the I mean, they won the fucking um iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio like sports podcast and where they won it over like PMT. They won it yep. over, you know, real fucking podcasts. They're they're enormous. They signed a deal with Spotify this year. And I remember I was out at the FSGA, the fantasy association when I heard the news about it. And I was like, damn, I wonder if Spotify like bought out the podcast or they like bought equity in the footballers. I didn't think they'd ever do that. They didn't. All they did was buy the rights to the footballers advertisements for the next mm. like three years. They got a fucking bag. I don't know what the price is. I just know it was very, very big. And what that does is exactly what if you were to hear the price, you would be like, no way. They're, you're paying for the rights to run ads on their thing. But no, it gives them the ability to go to Coca-Cola, to go to this, whatever it is, and say like, hey, we have a new demographic of a million, five million people that we can now run our ads against. And that's the way these bigger companies look at it because it's almost like a, a cycle of like, you know, we're not making money, but how can we show people that we're valuable to them and then make money through showing people? You know, it's, it's, it's like- And the, that's their new strategy. Right. Spotify, instead of acquiring the podcast, they're like, I don't want the podcast for 90, even the successful ones, they don't want it because they don't want to do the merch or they don't want to do the live shows. Maybe they will in the future, but they just- want to sell ads against it. So if you're a new content creator, is it better to go off and do it on your own? Maybe not. But what you can negotiate with some of them is I have full ownership of this podcast. You have the rights to sell against it. And that deal, maybe it's a year. And if look, if you have rapid, rapid, rapid growth that you, it sucks that the last six months of it, but it's an unlikely scenario. So I'm fine starting off with a network, but it nine don't times get caught out. up in the name. To, yeah, don't get yeah. caught up in the fact that you're in there because they're not going to be the ones that like push you to the next level. Your, your content and your consistency of the content is yeah. going to be it. This one in particular, I know I had talked to this network and I think their plan originally, and they, maybe they did, they set up the, like a giant studio where they could actually physically have yes. all the, yes. which I think is valuable, right? Because you could have people collabing and working with each other, almost like a version of what we have in here, but expanded, mm -hmm. which I think is cool. But I think the practical takeaway here is like when you do get enamored by those names, make sure you dive into what you're actually getting into return via what you're yeah. giving them. Because a lot and, of times- And to be fair- it's not like if you're starting a podcast tomorrow, you deserve that necessarily. Correct. So I think it's a balance from both sides. But yes, there are <laughs> certain perks, but a lot of them are like that location is on the West Coast. I live in New York. That doesn't apply to me. Right. Yes. So don't get caught up by that. But uh, John, he's doing some of this stuff on the side, advising on podcasting. Sounds like it's going great. So that's kind of our take on podcasting. Um, but look what we're doing. We're cutting up clips for more eyeballs. We're not selling brand deals. Oh, that's a perfect exam, uh, thing uh, that a question that we got about when to monetize. So I, I posted on LinkedIn yesterday that said, I think the biggest mistake people will make is they'll try and monetize too early. The biggest mistake creators will make. You feel very passionately about, you know, run 18, 24 months, whatever. When is it time? Uh, I, I think that's probably a good time, like 18 to 24 months. I think it, I think you also probably have a good feeling of when you're putting in so much work and you feel like you can 
organize value to give to your audience. When you feel when you feel like you're not pitching a product to your audience, that's probably the right time. And if you're even like questioning it, then maybe pull back a little bit. But I've always found like the best way to make money is to not try to make money. And the longer you hold out for, the easier it is when you do try to do it. You know what I mean? Because it changes the relationship between you and your audience pretty quickly when you try to sell because then they always have that like underlying notion in the back of their head like, is what he's saying genuine anymore? Or is it just some mm-hmm. sort of like long game to try to get me to buy a product? But if you never do that, they never have that worry. Their guard is down with you and they kind of fall in love with you that way. Well, if you're, you always say it, it's once you've delivered enough value. And so if you can arrange it and the storyline is, hey, buy this, right? It'll support me so I can go and do this full time. So maybe it is a little early and you weren't ready, but on the back end, I'm going to be able to deliver even more value because now I can dedicate 40 hours a week instead of 10. Like there are certain scenarios, but I think it all comes down to when you have delivered enough value to the community followers audience. Yeah. I, I think just put the time in. I also, I, I do think there's an interesting angle that way where it's like, after you have put in value, doesn't you don't even necessarily have to give more value, but I think there is an angle to being like, listen, I've been doing this for you guys for a long time. Like if you want to support me as a creator, I'm doing this collab with this, with mm-hmm. this brand or whatever, go buy the product that we're pushing for you, even if it doesn't align with the value that I've been like giving with you for a long time, because that could work, but it does, that won't work consistently. But if you're giving value consistently, then you could sell something against that. But yeah, the monetization, I I think a a good rule of thumb, in my opinion, if you want to have longevity for the monetization, which is, should be everyone's goal. Mm -hmm. I feel like 18 months is probably a really solid time frame to put in consistently. You'll be able to refine, uh, refine your content and you're not worrying about monetizing. You're only worrying about providing value and providing better content to the audience. So you're not focused on 50 different fucking things at yeah. once. We work with some creators who just, it's real life. They got to pay bills. They got to do what they do. They want to do it full time. So they want to monetize. And they're, it's not that they're monetizing too early. Some of them, it's just like the partnerships don't make perfect sense, but they want to make money. And so that's our job is to help them make money. It would be like seed programs or like, you know, little funding. So they didn't have to do that could really help a lot of these creators. Yeah, I almost, I really, really, truly believe that like the best way to go about getting into the content game is basically building up a financial runway of 12, 18, 24 months, right? Like working full-time, obviously everyone's gonna have different responsibilities, families, kids, whatever it is, rent. Working full-time for, it might be two, three, four, five fucking years for you to be able to actually build up a runway of 18 months that you know, it's okay, I could go for the next 18 months, go hard on content and not have to worry about making any money or income. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that. But I almost think- you said you hate working late at night, right? And I think that- I hate working late at night, but but I did it for a long ass time to get to the point where I don't have to do it. Yeah, I worked, I worked. So I I started Snapback, I was a senior in college and then I worked for two and a half years full-time doing Snapback on the side before I went full-time doing it. Yeah, And you want to get there because it will help the company or the content by being able to focus full-time. But I agree. Like Your plan has to be practical. Your, Your plan can't be to go viral. Your plan can't be to be an overnight success. Your plan has to be something where you build up money, yeah. give yourself financial freedom. Even if it's like, you know, it's like, okay, I need to, I need to have a hundred K in mm-hmm. the bank so that I can live a life I want for the next 24 months. Listen, maybe, maybe you save up 70 K and then you get a side hustle that supplements the other 25, 30 K, which is real a part-time job or something like that yeah. is really not that detrimental to most people, but be practical when it comes to finance. If you try to get into the creation game, uh, if you try to get into creation game without any 
momentum or like financial backing, that's going to put you in such a bad spot because you're going to have to work from the angle of being like, I need to make money doing this. Think of investing in yourself, right? So you need funding. And so if you're not working a job, you don't have any money, then you got to, you have to change your product way too early to be able to sustain that. That's why companies literally raise venture capital, create your own venture capital by working a full-time job, starting it and testing. Like you also wouldn't start a company just off an idea. You would test that content before you made that leap. That's a good example of create the content after work, see if it's working, test, try, et cetera. Yeah. It's almost actually what, what, like we did here is not very dissimilar from what I just said at, at a bigger scale. I was an individual creator for, you know, years mm -hmm. and started making a lot of money to the point where I wasn't like spending that much money. So I saved up a lot and then I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it back into having a runway for 12, 18 yeah. months. And that's what we're on right now. And when our deal with prize picks gets up, you know, we'll obviously still have other revenue sources, but like, I'm not sure where we're going to be. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? It's a, but I've given us 18 months to figure that shit out, you yeah. know, and hopefully it works out, but that's a smaller scale for other creators is just be practical when it comes to finances, because you can't project to, to blow up in, in a year or two years. It's just not yeah. real. Nikki, that's why he's up at five 30 in the morning. Thinking about his prize. Somebody's got to fucking work, my guy. <laughs> Somebody's got to work here. Uh, we got a Q&A. Is it from Jordan? It's from Jordan. Okay. Jordan asks, can you walk us through how you went about it? Step-by-step -step messages, mode pitch, how you got underdog, NFL all day, SeatGeek he left out, to sponsor your tour this season, uh, and how you would go about recreating that process with a, less, with a lot less social brand equity than you may have. Scale it down 10 times. So, sleeping under the rocks, uh, we are going to every single Monday Night Football game. We are probably going to spend, we talked about this, do you count video editors and salaries and all that, but we'll spend 50 grand, I say, between travel tickets, food, all the stuff that goes into this 17 weeks of, of mayhem. We sold against it. We will make money from it. We'll be profitable because we have this massive audience. How did we go about this? So already had a pre-existing relationship with Underdog, so kind of upsold them on this idea. Uh, we have a bunch of relationships. Alex Scheinman is my business partner and manager. He is just super networked, super plugged. And so we start reaching out to people. And the pitch is we created a one-sheeter for it. We created what the expectation was for views on it, all the different platforms that we would get. I might even be able to ship you the materials. We could even use it in okay. the thing. So we just tidied it up. I would say between Underdog, we had a personal relationship with. SeatGeek, we had... We made a personal relationship with all day. We had a relationship with Dapper. So I think that is a huge thing. And I don't know about you. Do you get any cold outreach these days? Like where you successfully do cold outreach and then book a brand deal off it. It's very hard. Everything comes through some form of a networking for us. Um, that's if we do partner with brands, that's typically how I still do it, yeah. honestly. Um, we haven't done that in a long time, but anyone that we work seriously with right now has basically been for me cold outreaching yeah. to them. Or man, maybe I've been hooked up through like a friend or something that had um, a process with them. I, uh, for well, like prize picks wasn't a cold outreach thing. Actually, from them to me, it was. But, but because you were in the space and doing stuff. Oh, and yeah. That, it wasn't like cold, like, yeah. hey, I'm Nick Urkelano, and they're like, I have no idea who you are. What do that's you what do? That's what I mean. Yeah, no, no. Well, I think for a lot of creators, that's the case. So you got to get creative. Go on LinkedIn and and create a pitch that's going to deliver value to them. Go to Instagram. Like, in, a lot of these people are on Instagram, and that puts a personal touch Think about Think about, yeah, think about who you're trying to contact. Figure out where they have their biggest audience, and then don't try to reach out to them there. <laughs> Go to what you said. Yeah. LinkedIn is perfect. Like, yeah. on the Behind the Business series that I used to interview... You know, people in, yeah. in fantasy that I thought were really good at business. I got the CEO of Sleeper 
on one of the videos. And the way I did it was I went to, I, I read through like a bunch of TechCrunch articles to mm-hmm. find out this, the names of the founders of Sleeper. And then I went on Gmail and I typed in the four co-founders names and I typed in at sleeper.com. Uh, at sleeper.app, their first name, last name, period in between, shot off like fucking 400 emails. One of them eventually hit somebody and he was like, hey, I'm going to forward this to the more like front facing guy at, um, at the company. And he got back to me eventually. And, you know, we ended up getting onto the show together, but like, you have to be really resourceful with these things. I also think you have to have some kind of value. Like you work with underdog. Now, when I first got started working with them four or five years ago, I had been doing videos on their platform for two years before I even knew it was even possible to talk to them. You know what I mean? And then eventually I posted a clip from a YouTube video on Twitter and their head of marketing commented on it. And I was like, oh shit, this is cool. Messaged him, ended up living in Brooklyn. When I first moved into Brooklyn, we went out and then hit it off. And obviously, you know, the rest is history from it. But it goes back to like in the same way that people are chopping up clips for us, giving free value. I was kind of doing that for them to build that part of the relationship so that they would trust me. And then obviously we've been able to grow our organic reach, but you're asking, how do you scale it down 10X? You also have to understand that your results are going to be 10x lower yes. like you can't yeah. do i have a blue check like that will find more people you also might be I'm able to you you might only be able to pitch them on a two monday night thing yeah. you know what i mean like your audience is much lower they're not going to expect much out of you they're going to give you much less because jack has a huge fucking audience and has a lot of leverage that he's built up over years of this relationship so say if, if you are thinking about doing this i would certainly take a very personal approach to this you know a lot of people in these companies via twitter if you haven't made content for them yet i would definitely again build up like a backlog portfolio of stuff that you have done for them um, and then pitch something that's on a much like lower scale. Cause I think they probably won't take you seriously if you tried to pitch what Jack pitched, but then they went and looked at your follower account and it was, you know, a thousand people or something like that. Yeah. Well, I would say one, maybe it's too early. So that might just be the situation. Maybe your content isn't worth that. Two, you probably have to do the concept first. Like we've gone to a bunch of games. We know that we'll get this type of viewership. We'll do this type of content, et cetera. So if you that's haven't, a, that's a great point. If you haven't done it, don't, you know, do it. I think a lot about like a fashion blogger, right? They'll review clothes unpaid for until they build an audience. And then they'll go to the brands and say, hey, do you want... So if you haven't actually done it and haven't created content around it, and then like for SeatGeek, for example, I wouldn't go ask for cash. I would go ask for free tickets to the game or something like that. You know, start small. I actually got, we used to work with TickPick and not DickPick, TickPick. (laughs) And we, I had a memory today. Our first ever giveaway with them was I just like got $500 in credit for my audience uh, and they got me free tickets to the Knicks game and we drove to their newsletter, their email list, 2,000 emails or something. It was just worth, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. But that's what it was. We that's created. so true, yeah. If I, were, if I were ever to pitch a company on like sponsoring a live event that we did, I have a backlog of 20 live events that we've done on my YouTube channel that I'm like super proud of that we've put together as weekend vlogs. And I'm right. like, this is a really funny 20 minute vlog where we went to a fucking XFL tailgate. Yep. Like, do you yeah. guys want to be the sponsor for this? But it's a really good point. Like if you haven't done it yet, I, they don't really have anything to go off of. So yeah. make the content first. And then if it's worth sponsoring, then you'll have the video to show them. But if it's not good, then they're not going to sponsor. They're not going to want to sponsor it in the first place. Yeah. Good question though. Yeah. Good question. 
Good question. I hope you we just fucking killed your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Fatius, did you do you still set growth goals for new ventures? Growth is important, but I think that setting growth metrics too early could generate unwanted stress. Hence why Nick wakes up at five thirty a.m. If it takes longer, specifically content creation ventures like this new podcast. I don't think I've ever set a growth goal when it comes to numbers. I think there's like like I'm excited to get to hundred k on YouTube. Yeah. It's that's never, never been like, no, nah, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to make a video every five minutes until we get to it. <laughs> I just I, like, I, I don't know. It just feels, um, I think it's, it's, there's pros and cons to it, right? Yeah. One puts unnecessary stress on you Two, Maybe it makes you stray from your content, right? Like if you know you want to do fantasy, but there's a much bigger audience for general football, are you going to go and just do general football? Maybe it gets you out of your niche that you want to be working in anyway. So that's one side of the coin. The other is like, it is a positive. It's a known thing. You set goals and you can also talk things into existence. You make it part of your journey and you've got social pressure on you. Sometimes anxiety and pressure is a positive. So I think it kind of goes both ways. Have I ever set a growth goal specifically for content? Not really. Uh, and and some of that might be a cop-out. Like, I could say, I want to have a goal of 100,000 TikTok followers. That would, but it's I almost know like you don't really have control over that. That's the problem. I like I, I like focusing yeah. more on, like, project-facing goals. Right. Like, right. hey, here's a, here's a very ambitious project. I want to have this done next week. Or I want to start planning to, you know, the creative process for it yeah. this week and then move to this for next week. I, those are things that I would typically set out to do. It's just like do good work because mm-hmm. you can't control the right. follower count. You can't control the view count. But we you set can't revenue control. goals though. That's and, and you theoretically can't control it. I know an algorithm is different than like you could work hard to find those relationships and sell against Revenue it. goals are definitely something I wish I did more of because yeah. if, if we did and say I was like 50K short of a revenue goal, but I was like, damn, I really want to hit this. Right. I can go out and probably sign like three deals that are like 10, 15K yeah. each. But, but I just don't do that. That's the negative to doing it because maybe those deals aren't that good and you're just trying to hit this arbitrary number. Which is why I think you just you make your goals focus on the work. The, I was in a select Nike class at University of Texas and the best thing I learned was their brainstorming and their goal setting strategy, which was I set a goal and then you have to one up it. And it, you make it so blasphemous because if we sat here and we're like, all right, how many, whatever, followers or subscribers on YouTube? And you're like, all right, we want 10K. And I'm like, no, we want 20K. That might be the end of it. Their thing would be like, all right, 10K. I'm like, all right, we want to get Mr. Beast on. We want to do a live podcast with Mr. Beast. We want Mr. Beast to get naked on the show. <laughs> like they're they're literally like go crazy because then you're when you're like all right, this is actually more realistic. You would have never gotten there if you hadn't gone to the extreme. That's so fair. so setting a revenue goal of like $100 million <laughs> might actually be a better thing. You know, something reasonable. There, there's different pros and cons to it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not something I personally do. Yeah, I would, I would rather than rather than be like, I want 20K subscribers on our YouTube channel. I yeah. would rather be like, I'm going to make a goal to make one podcast a week. Right. Make five YouTube shorts a week. Yep. Make five TikToks a week. Something like that's But that's goal setting, I, I know, is positive that I don't do enough of. But I still remember, like... I remember my goal was I want to make a hundred grand so I can do this full time. And I wasn't actively trying to like sell one more deal to do it, but it was like in the back of my head. Then it was like, all right, what I want to be a millionaire 
by 25. And I wasn't and really... And you hit that at 21. <laughs> and I am not a millionaire. Uh, but those are things that it just changes your mindset. And I think that the NFT stuff actually helped me a lot with that. I started playing in a world where, like, I never thought about money like that. And the, the ceiling that was, was That raised. was insane. Money it was insane. At the time. But, but then you start talking to people and, who have made that type of money. And you're like, oh, these things are, like, real, like... Dude, once you uh, well, here, yeah, once you make money, it's a lot easier to make money. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes. Like once you, it, it, I don't want to say it's an exponential thing, but you like you unlock a network, you unlock yep. these deals where like you you start to set your personal floor for things where it's like I won't accept this, and that energy rubs off on other people, yeah. and then you start to open up those worlds for yourself. So like you get to 100k, and then you're like I'm not making less than 200k next year. I'm right. not signing a deal that's less than six figures this year. You yeah, know what you mean? know like, your worth. Yeah, so it's like you do start to unlock things. So goals are good, um, but just make sure that you well, have a bit of tangibleness to it as well as a bit of like actionable steps rather than just like throwing something out in the atmosphere that you can't even work towards yeah all right well oh what a fucking perfect timing 59 minutes and 38 seconds right, you got 20 seconds to close this oh that's this episode of big content thank you for following along in terms and conditions we do not apply uh, <laughs> hit the thumbs up if you enjoyed uh subscribe to the channel so i can never get the clap correct uh, subscribe to the channel as well as the podcast if this is your first time around and we will be bye next wednesday love you Thank you.